Good morning, everyone. Can you all hear me? Is that all working there? Great, brilliant, excellent. So, um, a little bit about me. For those of you that, that haven't met me before, my name is, is Jeremy Douglas Jones. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. I'm married to Becky Douglas Jones, who's um, s- stuck with me for what, 21, 22? <laughs> That happened on the 10th of January, so forgive me while I get my dates right. Um, 22 years. Um, We have three children, Joel, who's 17 and is finishing up his A-levels, Caitlin, who is 15 and finishing up her GCSEs, and then young Isaac, who's in kids' work work at the moment, um, who is in year four. So we've um, been doing life for many years in the UK, but as you can hear, we come from South Africa originally. And I'm going to share a little bit about some of that journey in the, the sermon. But first off, we're going to do a little bit of a, a recap of where we're at. We're looking at this big question that Jesus' disciples asked him. Lord, teach us how to pray. And we're looking at his response in what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. We're doing a couple of things as a church to, to help us. We're looking at the prayer course in life groups, and we're doing this sermon series, which is looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer in a little more detail. Um, But if you're not in a life group, join a life group. The prayer course is brilliant. It's uh, run by Pete Gregg or or delivered by Pete Gregg, who leads uh, 24-7 prayer and has had years and years of experience in this particular part of the Christian life, and it's really helpful. So just a a quick recap, the first week we we heard from him why pray, and remember the the little um, memorable phrase he used, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And then in week two, we looked at adoration, and he used the acronym P-R-A-Y, remember, pause, rejoice, ask, and then yield as a, a simple structure for your prayers. And then last week, we looked at petition. Remember, he used an illustration of traffic lights. For when you're asking God for something, look out for the traffic lights. He's got three ways that he can answer you. It can be a green. It can be a yes. It can be an amber, which means yes, but wait. Or it can be a red, which is a a no. And God has that prerogative. He can say no. He knows what's best for us. And sometimes we ask for things that we want, but he knows what we need. And so sometimes our, our requests are turned down because he loves us too much to give them to us. And then this week coming up, the fourth in, in the series will be intercession. And then in our sermon series, this is the question and Jesus' answer. And um, as you know, the Lord's Prayer is probably the most famous. It's the one that's used around the world. It's been recited by millions of believers over the centuries. It's not the only prayer of Jesus' in the Bible. He's prayed many other prayers, but this is a response to this particular question of his disciples. And it was something that his followers could use to learn how to pray. So it's not something that um, we necessarily need to recite as written, although it's always a good thing to remember um, and and memorize the Lord's Prayer, but it's a model, it's a framework, it's a way for us to kind of structure how we have a relationship with God. 
It covers all aspects of life. It's a family prayer. I'm going to harp on this for a bit today, but we use the words us and our in this prayer. We don't use the word me or I. It's all about us, and it's all about our when we talk about our petitions and our protection and our provision. Um, and so far, what we've looked at is, is the Father. Remember, it starts off with Father. And all of our prayers should start with Father because that's the, the gateway to, to those prayers. And we saw that it's, it's um, very important to talk to God as Father, but Father in heaven. And there's been a lot of discussion around that word that's used for Father, Abba, but I think Stuart made it quite clear that Abba is, is a personal address to God. It does mean like Father as in Dad, but it's not as far as Daddy. It's not as familiar as Daddy. He's still a Father that we approach with, with reverence and respect. We don't kind of throw our petitions at Him willy-nilly and, and take Him for granted. We, we treat Him with reverence because He is in heaven. And then we looked at hallowed be your name, and we realized that our first priority in prayer is to recognize that God is holy and honor Him as such, um, to talk about Him, and sometimes not even to talk about what He's done for us, but just to talk about how holy He is, because that is primarily the God who we worship, regardless of what He does for us. And then... Last week, we looked at your kingdom come, and Stuart kind of shaped for us a, a picture of what's, what, what God's kingdom looks like, that it's, it's not a geographical kingdom. It's not like the United Kingdom where you can roughly draw a line, but it gets a bit more complicated than that because there are a few dots in the sea and other things. It's not quite like that. God's kingdom is, is actually where, wherever He rules and reigns, and so His kingdom scat is scattered throughout the world, and wherever there are people that regard Him as king, that's where His kingdom is, and wherever they stand, that's where His kingdom stands, and wherever they walk, that's where He rules. And today we're going to be looking at moving out of that place into a place of provision, asking God for provision. But before we get there, we also said that we're going to give you some tips on how to pray. Each week we were going to look at a tip, and in week one, Stuart said to us, read books on prayer. He said you could read Philip Graham Riken's book on when you pray, which is specifically about the Lord's Prayer, or you could read uh, Timothy Keller's book on prayer, which is a more general approach to how we should be praying as Christians. And in week two, we suggested that you pray with others. Um, Stuart gave us a New Year challenge to pray with other believers whenever you meet. So um, regardless of why you meet, even if it's because you're at work and you work in the same area and you've decided to have lunch together, go and have lunch together and share a little bit of time praying while you're having that lunch. Make your meetings with other Christians more intentional and more focused on God. And church at prayer. Every three weeks during term time, we get together here on a Tuesday, and we pray in the atrium for two hours between 8 and 10 o'clock. Come together. Praying together is a fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian. We do this in community as much as we do it in our own closets at home. And then week three, we said have a place and a plan. Have somewhere specific that you can call your own special place. Um, 
John Wesley's mom used to have a, a shroud that she put over her head, and she sat in the kitchen with the shroud over her head, and all her hundreds and thousands of kids um, understood that when the shroud was over, they had to keep quiet because mom was with God. That was her place. So have a place. It can be a little place. It can be a big place. It can be a whole study, and have a plan. Plan what you're going to pray about. Stuart's far better than me. He's got a weekly plan. And I think it's a bi-weekly plan. So um, he, he, he's very structured. I'm not as structured, but however you plan, have a plan. Know what you're going to pray about. Don't just walk into your place, shut up, and then wonder, what am I going to talk to God about now? Week four then, this week, my tip to you is to get information about the church around the world. Find out as much as you can about Christian brothers and sisters that live across the globe. Subscribe to some mailing lists from Christian organizations and spend time praying for your brothers and sisters. This will do at least three things for you. There's a lot of other things it'll do for you, but at least three things. It'll help you to focus your prayers outwardly. It will prevent you from hardening your heart and it'll inspire you to be bolder when you read about what they are going through in other parts of the world. Um, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of places that you could go for this, but some suggestions would be operation mobilization or, or tear fund. You can throw those into Google and you'll find their websites. Every now and again, Desiring God has some really interesting stories about what's going on around the world. Um, you can find out more from us about what Andy Martin's up, where he is. You could even go and read Christianity Today and they have plenty of articles, but I need to give you a warning. The internet is a dangerous place, and the internet is a dangerous place even when it comes to Christian stuff. So it's not always objective, and it's not always without a political bias, the stuff that you're going to find. So please read responsibly, and don't share without fact-checking. But get out there, start looking at what's going on around the world. So, Today, I said we're going to be looking at, at give us each day our daily bread, this very particular petition where we've moved out of the, the adoration and, and the rejoicing and, and making big who God is, and we start talking to Him about ourselves. And it seems a simple enough request. I have jumped on a little bit, sorry, in the, the PowerPoint. It seems a simple enough request but the implication of the simple prayers is actually far-reaching. And there is, there is an explicit link between your kingdom come and give us each day our daily bread. And I just want to share a little bit of a, a story of our lives to, to illustrate that. But it's more explicit, this link, if we look in Matthew. There are a few extra lines which are, are kind of commentary on what is meant by your kingdom come. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go on to ask and give us this day our daily bread. Asking God to provide your daily bread is an expression of trust in Him. First and foremost, that is what it is. It's a a surrendering of the idea that you have control and power over the ability to feed yourself, and you're putting all of your trust into Him. And you're going to need that if you're willing to pray, your kingdom come. Because when we say, your kingdom come, 
we're yielding to God and we're saying, Lord, we want to be part of your kingdom coming. We want to be part of your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. When we became part of this church by saying that you are Jesus Christ, you are God, you are Lord, you are Lord of our lives, we were also saying we are on mission with you and we will do what you've called us to do. And that's kind of where we were. Uh, when we lived in South Africa, I don't talk too much about this, but we were very wealthy. We, we were committed to God, but at the same time, we, we had, I, I had a, a really successful career path and we were doing very, very well. We'd heard God's call. When I was very young, we heard God's call. And we were actively waiting on Him. We weren't just going, yeah, God, you've called us, and we'll just sit around and wait until you send us. We were actively waiting. We were doing research. We were looking at different parts of the world. We were asking God, where exactly are you calling us to? What exactly are you wanting us to do? How are you going to make this happen? We were doing that all of the time. But at the same time, we were doing very well. We had a big house, which we built ourselves, and we added on to it. I think every two years we added something onto the house. We, we had a, a, a big piece of land. We had a wall around it. We had lovely cars. We went on very nice holidays. We had all the toys. I remember going kite surfing after work or um, hanging out with friends and, and traveling up to, to different places to just enjoy ourselves. It was fun. But I knew at the same time that at some point we'd, we'd leave it all behind. I knew that. Even when I took my last job, I said to um, the people that I was working for, I'm not going to be here forever. Don't get used to me. Because I know God has called us onto something else. And I remember in that time of preparation, when we were actively waiting, someone once said to me that I hope when you do go, you'll have nothing with you when you go. Like, no money. Nice. <laughs> and they said, no, no, the, the reason um, I hope that for you, or I pray that for you, is because then you'll need to stay close to God. Then you'll need to depend on Him. Then every day you're going to be listening to Him, and you'll be relying on Him. And you're not going to be looking at your resources and planning accordingly. You're going to be hearing Him and doing what He tells you to do. That's tough. But the time came. The time came when we knew that the where was the UK and that the when was July 2008. At that point, we didn't realize what that meant in terms of world banking crises and all of that sort of stuff. So we applied for our visas, sold all of our stuff, and, and got on a plane bound for the UK with little more than a sense of God calling us to go as he called Abraham to go. He didn't tell Abraham where to go. He just said, go. And so we went, and God led us. And in the years that followed, we prayed, give us this day our daily bread a lot. We didn't quite come with nothing. We sold stuff, so we had a little bit of an nest egg. But within two years, we'd used that to make sure that we'd settled in the UK. And then we genuinely had nothing. So we prayed Lord, give us this day our daily bread a lot. And it, it hasn't been easy. Some of you know some of the stories, but God has been faithful to us. He, he's never let us go hungry. We've 
always had shelter. Our children have always had access to good schools. And um, we've been blessed with some awesome holidays. I've been to Canada, we've been to Amsterdam, we've been to South Africa a number of times, and none of that's come from our own finances. So he's blessed us beyond what we need, but we've trusted him for our daily bread. And you know, some of us think it's easy to pray, give us our daily bread when we're wealthy, but the truth is it's, it's actually harder. It's hard to depend on God when you think that you have enough without God. When we were in South Africa, we thought we trusted God for everything. But when we left it all behind, we actively engaged with Him daily as we looked to Him for everything. There was a, a little story in, in Philip Graham Riken's book um, about a, a publisher who thought about this, this very thing. Um, he, he, said, he said this, I'm going to read it to you. He said, I don't pray anymore, he lamented. I've given it up for Lent, also for Advent and Pentecost. How can I maintain without lying that God has a hand in this meal? How can I maintain without lying that God has a hand in this meal? So this, this gentleman who, who wrote this uh, was under the impression that because he had to work and because he could go to the store and buy his bread and bring it to the table and make his own sandwich, that God was not involved in providing for him daily. So he felt it was hypocritical to ask God for daily bread when everything in the process of getting his daily bread seemed to have uh, nothing to, to do with God. There are a lot of people in the world like that, even in the church. I know that there are days when I go without thanking God for what I've seen, what I've had that day. We take it for granted. I know there's loads that think it's ridiculous to pray to God for provision. They struggle to see, as this publisher did, how he has any hand in that process. And then you know what? There's, there's others and others in the church. So Origen, one of the church fathers, um, struggled to understand how in the middle of the Lord's Prayer we could ask him for something as small as daily bread. Surely this is too small a request to put before the mighty God. And so he thought that it referred to the bread of life or the Word of God. So give us the Word of God every day. Others thought that it meant super substantial bread, so something more than natural. And it, it became something where, where people started saying, okay, we're going to have communion every day because if we pray, give us this day our daily bread, really that means communion because we're remembering what Christ did for us as something spiritual. But Jesus makes it clear not just here, but in many places, that the Father cares about our, our most basic needs as well as the cosmic scale of, of His plan of redemption. And He encourages us to ask Him for these things. He says that He will feed you like the birds of the air, or that He'll dress you like the lilies of the field. So there's a lot in these few words, and, and maybe what we can do is we can see some application as we go through this text in a little more detail. And we can say something about almost every single 
word. And the first one is, is give. It's easy to miss this, but when we ask someone to give you something, we're depending on them. We depend on God when we ask him to give us our daily bread. We don't say give to him and then think that it's all down to us or all down to our friends or our family or our connections that provide for us. And even though it's a gift, we still have to work for it. Um, we see that clearly. Um, we're told that, that man has to toil to eat, that the land is cursed because of the fall, and so we have to work hard to make the land provide food so that we can eat. So we have to work, but as I said earlier, the more we have, the more we need this petition. It's not just for those that are poor in the world. There are a lot of people that say this is a prayer for poor people. This isn't a prayer for poor people. This is a prayer for all of God's people, and we need to be depending on God for our provision even more when we have a lot. Saying grace before a meal is how some people do it. Some people feel a little awkward about it, but what I would say to you is grace is not a religious thing, or it shouldn't be a religious thing. What it should be is a moment where you sit down every single day and you stop and you say, Lord, I'm so thankful to you for what you have provided for me in this simple meal. And the simple meal is representative of all the other wonderful things that you have provided for me every single day. It's not religious. It's a sign of spiritual maturity to be thankful every day to God for what he has given you in that meal. Then the second word is us. We've said this before, this is a family prayer, but here it's super important, guys. It's so easy to miss that we're not saying this in a big group. Like, I used to say the Lord's Prayer at school all the time, and there were 700 of us in the hall, and we'd all say, give us this day our daily bread. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there's a collective, there's a group of us here, and we're all saying, give us this day our daily bread. So what it really means is, give me this day my daily bread, because we're just asking as a group, but actually... If I, I related it to myself, it was about me. But it's not an individualistic request. When we ask God to provide for all of us, we are in fact not praying for me at all. It's a prayer for all who are bound to us in Christ's love. It's a prayer for our family. It's, it's a prayer for our, our church family. It's a prayer for each and every one of you and, and your children it's a prayer for the members of the church in the UK and, and people around the world, Christians around the world, that they may enjoy the basic necessities of life. And if you think about it, it makes sense to pray for our bread because it takes a whole community to make a loaf of bread. I know in, in our society it's very hard to see it, but the, the supply chain around a simple loaf of bread is remarkably complex. You're not just praying that God would give you enough cash to go to the corner store and, and buy a loaf of bread. You're praying for the farmer that plows the field. 
and grows the grain. You're praying for those that mill the grain into flour. You're praying for the baker that makes the bread. You're praying for the storekeeper who takes delivery of those and then holds them safely for you until you go and pick them up. Everybody that ensures that that loaf of bread arrives on your table, you're praying for all of them. And that's just the beginning of this, this complex chain of people. Every time we pray for daily bread, we're acknowledging our dependence not just on a kind God, but on other people, a whole host of strangers that we don't know and we'll never get to thank. On top of this, when we ask God to give us our daily bread, we're also identifying with the poor, especially the Christian poor. I think um, Jack shared a, a stat recently on Facebook, which I do read every now and again, um, she, she, she shared, shared a stat that there are more food banks in the UK than there are McDonald's outlets. What? That's insane. I often think that we need reminding um, of, of poverty by, by going and looking at other parts of the world, but we don't need to travel the globe to... To, to see poverty, many people in the UK right now are struggling with the fear and the shame of not being able to provide their family with the basic necessities of life. Our own brothers and sisters in the UK and around the world are starving, and, and the problem is not a lack of resources. This is part of my job day to day, and, and I hear a lot of people talking about overcrowding and all sorts of other things being, being the reason why there's not enough food. But the truth is, it's not because of a lack of resources. It's not because of an agricultural problem. It's a, it's a distribution of resource problem. The reason that people are hungry all around the world is, is a spiritual problem. It's, it's because of, of greed, it's because of sloth. It's because of corruption. It's because of oppression. It's because of warfare that the church needs to pray for bread. So first, the church prays for God's kingdom to come and to make things right and for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, wherever God's kingdom comes, our prayers are answered and we pray not only for the kingdom but for bread. so that our brothers and our sisters around the world will be fed, that their children will grow up as our children grow up, that they will be educated as our children are educated, that they, they will be able to find ways of making ends meet day to day so that they can continue to do the will of God wherever they are in the world. So we pray for bread. And when we pray for bread... We're also committing to share it when we get it. Otherwise, our prayer is insincere. How can we pray for our bread and then refuse to provide for the rest of us? James says it. He says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in... I can't read my notes. In daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Us is important. This is not about me. This is about all of us. God provide bread for all of us. And then each day, there's been a lot of debate about this, this phrase's exact meaning, but essentially, I can't go into, the, into the, the detail, but essentially it means that we pray every day for what we need that day. So you might get into a semantic argument, but if I pray in the evening, that means for tomorrow, and if I pray in the morning, that means for today. Yes, it does. Depending on when you pray, we're praying today for today's bread. Or if we pray tonight, we're praying for tomorrow's bread. And tomorrow's bread only. That's what's meant by each day. It does not mean we pray once that God will give us what we need for the rest of our lives, but that every day we pray for what is required on that day. Every day. When we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to give us what we need for today. And when we read the Bible, it's really hard to ignore that God's people often had to live one day at a time. I mean, it's really hard to ignore. For example, after being led out of Egypt, they were given manna by God. They depended on God for that manna. It didn't grow on the ground. It appeared in the morning. And they collected it. And if they collected too much for the day, it would go off. And they wouldn't be able to eat it, so they'd have to collect more the next day. So they depended on God day by day for food as they were walking through the wilderness. Or the way that God provided for Elijah in 1 Kings 17 when he was at the brook, he sent ravens twice a day with meat and bread to feed Elijah. And then when Elijah went to the, the hungry widow's house and he was staying with her, God put flour in her jar and oil in her jug every day. So there was enough food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. Or the way that Christians lived in Jerusalem, they were so poor that the apostles had to arrange a daily distribution of food. You can read about it in Acts 6 verse 1. By living day to day, they learned to trust God constantly for their provision. And my question to us, to me, is have we learned the same lesson? Do you live daily in dependence on God's provision? What this doesn't mean is that Christians are required to always live at a subsistence level or that, that we shouldn't plan for the future. For those of you that, that are in those fields, that is important. And, and there are examples of that. For example, when Elisha helped a widow, God gave her jars and jars full of oil so that she could live off the proceeds indefinitely. She was selling oil and she was making a living for herself of the blessing of God. Or in Proverbs 13, 22, we're encouraged to plan for our children's future if, if we're able to. So it doesn't mean that you're not planning for the future. It doesn't mean that you're always living at a subsistence level. But what it does mean is that we should not be worrying about the future. Jesus says himself in Matthew 6, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. So God often gives us, and, and for most of us, we'd agree with this, God often gives us far more than we need. But sometimes His care for us will be 
day by day. And the huge question for us is whether we have little or much, do we depend on God's provision daily? Do we trust Him completely? Are we obeying Jesus by not worrying about tomorrow? You'll find that if you're not worrying about tomorrow, you'll be more mindful of people around you and more likely to be generous. And then finally, daily bread. I think I just want to reinforce a couple of things here, but the truth is we, we try and make daily bread mean a lot of things, but the truth is Jesus meant it to be just that, bread. He asked us to pray for actual, physical, tangible, real bread. It would have been flat bread where he was praying. Um, for all of us, bread is, is food at its most basic level. Across the world, no matter where you go, no matter what culture you find yourself in, you'll find some form of bread, whether it be a bagel or a cracker or a roll or a tortilla or a flatbread. So when we ask God for bread, we're not asking Him for extravagance. We're not asking Him for a caviar cracker on a gold-gilded plate. We're asking Him for not too much, not too little, just enough, the Goldilocks zone, I guess. You know, just right. Our problem, especially in our, our country, is that we already have everything we need. And having everything we need, we tend to then pray for what we want. And as I stated earlier, God is, God is a good God, and, and He often gives us, in His grace, far more than we need. He gives us what we want, but the truth is He's not obligated to. Remember Pete Gregg's illustration, green, amber, red. Yes, sometimes. Hold on, other times. No is a valid answer from God when we ask Him for things. And the truth is, unanswered prayer for things that we want rather than we need have become a great source of discontent in the church. There are a lot of people walking around bitter with God because He hasn't given them what they want. We desire things that God hasn't promised, and then we get upset when His answer to our request is anything but yes. When Jesus teaches us to ask God for daily bread, He brings us back down to earth. That's what He does. He gives us a little bit of a reality check, and, and Paul reminds us of that, that very thing when he writes to Timothy in Timothy 6 verse 8. He says to Timothy, even if all we have is a little food to make it through the day, we still have all we need. And you know what? Paul was saying that with a big smile on his face because he was so excited about God. He loved him so much and he loved being on mission with God and he saw God's kingdom coming wherever he went and wherever he preached. And that was enough for him. So he could say to Timothy, hey, you know what, Timothy, even if, even if I get a little bit of food to get me through the day, we've got everything we need, everything we need. So the promise from God to give us our daily bread is, is not just for food. I just want to make that clear very quickly. It's not just for food. Bread includes sort of, if, if you translated it more broadly, it would, it would mean um, everything that you needed for the day, if that makes sense. So, so it includes shelter. It includes your health. It in, includes gainful employment or, or a way of getting those things, or a way of being productive. It includes everything. And, 
And so that's what we see when we hear God teaching us to pray for our daily bread, relying on God, being mindful of the fact that we're in a family, being generous with what we're given. And um, so I just wanted to make some of the, the application in that explicit. First off, what God is asking us to do is to trust Him daily. Very simple. And then He's asking us to give thanks, be thankful when we eat, and seek contentment with what God has given us. And then thirdly, He's asking us to take an interest in our brothers and our sisters around the world and find out about them, learn about them, walk in their shoes for a bit, get to know what life feels like for them, and pray for them, pray for their bread, pray for their provision, and finally give generously. You can't pray for bread and then say, I'm going to keep my coffers tightly closed in case something happens tomorrow. We need to be a people that are generous. Can the, could the worship team come up? Would that, thank you. So the phrase, daily bread in the Lord's Prayer was simply that. It was provision for the day. And it's important not to over-spiritualize it, as, as some have been tempted to do, by thinking that this prayer somehow refers to the Word of God or, or to the, the bread of communion. The bread we eat every single day is a gift of God, and it's a lesson from Him. It's a, a sign of His loving care. It's a sign of His loving care for His children. But for a Christian, bread can never be just bread. Isn't that true? It can't just be bread because we've heard Jesus talking about so many other things and he's used bread as a picture to teach us about these things. He's, he's used, it, used it to teach us a, a far greater truth. Bread is a necessity. It's a matter of life and death. And Christ has shown us that the gift of our daily bread teaches us to depend on God for life itself, not only physically, but also spiritually. And Jesus taught this to a group of 5,000 after feeding them. They said to him, um, from now on, give us this bread. And he replied, I am the bread. You're like, oh man, Jesus, you're doing that thing again where everyone gets confused. But he said, I am the bread. He was saying something like this to them. They didn't quite get it, but... He was saying to them, you have to understand there's, there's more to life than daily bread. There's more to life than, than, than going from day to day, getting a little bit of bread and just surviving. You need life itself. Not just now, but forever. You need eternal life. You need to be in the presence of God, living richly and fully with Him forever. And I am the only one who can give it to you. Nobody else. However real daily bread seems to us, it's still only a picture. It's not the ultimate reality. Jesus Christ is the reality. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He was obviously speaking spiritually. He was saying that what he did for us on the cross, offering his own body and blood for our sins, is the food and drink of eternal life. Anyone who wants to live forever with God needs to take Jesus in the same way as a starving man takes his daily bread. And so as we remember God's very practical teaching in this prayer about daily bread, we also want to remember God's very, very beautiful gift in giving his life for us on the cross. So we're going to share communion in a bit. We're going to, we're going to spend a little bit of time in pee, pause, as we worship and we get our minds right. And then we're going to rejoice as we take communion together. And some of the life group leaders will be sharing with you. You'll, if you cast your eyes around the hall, there'll be a couple of spots where you can go. And um, I was told to say you can choose your favorite leader to take communion from. Or any leader. But Lord, as, as we come to this time where we respond to your word, Lord, I know that we can respond at two levels. And, and Lord, I pray that you help us to do both. That you help us in this moment be more intentional, more mindful of what it means to respond to you as Lord and Savior. When we say to you, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are volunteering to be part of that. And as we volunteer to be part of that, we're exposing ourselves to you and saying that we are completely and utterly dependent on you for the provision that we need as we follow you in your calling. Lord, help us to be bold as we respond to you. Help us to be mindful of the people around us, around the world that are in desperate need of daily provision. And help us as we pray that prayer to be part of the solution in providing. Let us be your hands. But Lord, as we spend time worshiping you, Holy Father, I pray that you give our hearts an injection of appreciation an injection of thanksgiving, of awe, of, of absolute surrender as we look at your Son on a cross, not put there by anyone, but willfully giving his life so that we may live for eternity. Real food and real drink that gives us eternal life.